Welcome to We Need to Talk About Tech, where we talk about the past, present, and future of technology. All right. On this week's episode of the podcast, we're talking about rumors surrounding the Apple car, the upcoming Samsung Unpacked event, as well as CES, and as well as Xiaomi's new Mi 11 and the 888 Snapdragon processor that's in it. Okay. There have been a lot of rumors and I guess a lot of buzz going on about Apple developing their own car, their own electric car. So it seems like back in 2014, Apple started Project Titan, which was their code name, uh, their in-house code name for work or development on their electrical vehicle. But I guess now there's been a bit more corroboration and it seems like there's actually, I guess, car manufacturers that have been quoted that, you know, have said that they are in talks with Apple. I guess one notable one is Hyundai. They said that, yes, Apple is actually, you know, trying to discuss terms around designing their vehicle. We know that they're in talks with other car companies or car manufacturers also. So it's not, you know, it's not 100% going to be Hyundai, but there are car manufacturers in talks with Apple. And a lot of... uh I guess Apple rumor people and speculators and analysts are saying that production is probably going to start around 2024, 2025. Probably won't be ready for release until around 20, 2027, 2028. But uh, I guess it seems like, especially I guess since we ended last episode, kind of saying how we were looking forward to the electrical car future, the EV future this is a big story to start the year off with yeah yeah it's it's a it's an interesting one because we've talked about how in the last episode all the cool stuff that was happening with electric cars and how the year of 2020 was kind of a huge step forward uh for electric cars and it's interesting because yeah there's a lot of rumors about apple doing a car the the interesting thing about cars though is that there isn't a large amount of um i guess profit in like the profit margins for vehicles just isn't as high as something like a cell phone or a tablet or uh, computers stuff like that that apple's generally into and especially in in their newer products where you see things like airpods and airpods max where i would imagine there's a very large uh profit margin delta between be- between what it costs for them to develop those products and what it, they're actually selling them for. Um, and it, it, it's been a huge part of Apple's whole you know, agenda uh, in the past few years after they stopped reporting how many iPhone numbers uh, they were selling and started reporting revenue instead, that they wanted devices with higher profit margins, um, products with hi- higher profit margins. And it felt like a car was a little bit in the opposite direction now that being said i think you brought up a really interesting point about you know there are car companies that are confirming yeah apple has had interest in this and potentially they could be partnering with someone who's already established um like a hyundai or a honda or even a ford or something like that um and it makes me wonder if i'm a company like like hyundai or i'm a company like ford who wants to compete with Tesla in terms of brand recognition, 
who would I go to to kind of get that brand associated with with me? Like I would go for Apple because Apple has such amazing brand recognition that if it's all of a sudden the Apple branded Ford Maki or you know get Ford out of it or you know the Apple branded Sonata or something like that. Hyundai Veloster. Exactly. If you get that Apple name in it, all of a sudden that can kind of project you into a a tier closer to what Tesla is doing. Because you know it's interesting. A lot of we've talked about this a little bit too. What made twenty twenty so great with electric cars is that there was a lot of uh, increase in quality from the competitors to Tesla. Something that Tesla has really struggled with is quality, and but it didn't really matter because uh, a lot of people were just such a fan of the brand that the you know any kind of decrease to quality that you would get for going with a Tesla didn't matter because the brand stood out above everything else. And I think that's a great equalizer if a company like Hyundai can say, well, we got Apple on our side. We got all of their software and hardware prowess, you know, uh, it's going to be magical and blah, blah, blah. And they can use all those Apple keywords um, to kind of advertise a, a new electric car. I think that would be huge. Yeah. Um, I guess one note about cars not being as profitable. I know before Apple got into the cell phone business cell phones weren't as profitable mm -hmm. right they weren't as they weren't really premium items it was kind of this well yeah everyone has a cell phone everyone has a flip phone but you don't really make money off of it like there's no money to be made off of a phone you use it to call you know it just started to be okay you use it to text people but other than that there's no money in phones but then apple is the one that kind of made the app store so popular yeah and now it's not just for calling it's not just for messaging people now you have actual applications that you can sell someone for their phone and not only that they were the first ones that kind of broke that thousand dollar phone price tag and then obviously after they started charging a thousand everyone else started charging over a thousand mm -hmm. but they kind of they made the cell phone I guess app market a thing and one thing about this uh this apple car that they're working on it's going to have deep integration with ios now is it going to be something where okay we're just porting our let's say our ipad os onto our entertainment system in the car or are they going to create like a s completely separate car os right for this and then there's going to be specific car apps and but whatever just like they just like cell phones weren't that profitable going before iphone got there i feel like if apple is interested in getting into it they've definitely found a way to make it profitable that other people aren't doing whether that's strictly through an app store in your car or tying apps that you use on your phone on your computer on your ipad with the car there's definitely some sort of app profitability i guess um strategy that they figured out that nobody else is doing right now and another reason why i find it interesting that and this they haven't chosen hyundai yet but hyundai is just kind of the name that's floating around there i find it interesting that they're using oh let's say if they decide to go with hyundai i find it interesting that it's hyundai and not let's say a Honda or a Toyota 
or maybe even like you know a Lexus or a Mercedes at least right now from the rumors that we've heard mm -hmm. because let's say if it was a Honda or Toyota they they have more brand recognition than a Hyundai they're bigger cars they sell more cars than Hyundai so kind of like you said having that Apple name tag on it could say hey we're giving we're bringing our own fan base to your cars you're not the top you're not at the top of selling cars in the world or at least in north america maybe things are different throughout the world but in north america you're not at the top of selling cars we're going to bring our fan base to you to bring you more attention so now people are going to want to buy hyundai because our name is tied to you and you could even look at it okay let's say if we're comparing to a mercedes or like a lexus or something i say right those or an audi too those are more premium brands so another thing apple could be saying is you know hyundai's aren't seen as premium vehicles they had what the hyundai genesis and then now genesis has branched off to its own sort of more higher end brand yeah but they could say hey apple is known as premium products you know us throwing our apple price or apple name tag on your hyundai vehicles is going to make them look that much more premium so i think if it does end up being hyundai that they're partnering with I think choosing not the best in terms of premium quality, not the best in terms of shipping vehicles, I think it gives Apple more negotiating power. Now, who knows? It could come out that they've partnered with Ferrari and Toyota. So they're like premium on one end and then selling a lot of cars on the other end. But if it does end up, end up being Hyundai, it's kind of like someone who's middle ground in both that they're, that Apple can then elevate. So then, you know, they probably have more negotiating power when it comes to, you know, deciding, I guess, maybe what materials or what price points or even like what percentage of the car sales they get. That's, that's a really great point. And I, I think where that really comes into a benefit for Apple is, first of all, you're absolutely right. They, Apple is a company that's very smart about knowing how to enter in a new product category and make it the most profitable it can be um and it's one of the big distinctions between them and a company like tesla i, I think a lot of us see a, a lot of similarities between those companies because they're so successful and they have you know very uh i guess uh front leading and and very open kind of uh ceos where you know they're they're kind of a part of the company um mm -hmm. where it was steve jobs with apple now tim cook um, and obviously Elon with Tesla, but the interesting thing is that's something that Tesla has really struggled with is sure. They, they've gotten better at making cars and making more desirable cars for more amount of people, but being a very profitable company, um, has been something that they've, they've struggled with. Apple has not struggled with that. They've made tablets profitable. Like you said, they've made phones profitable. They are doing crazy things with headphones right now. Um, where, like you said, they're the first phone to go into the, the thousand dollar, uh, kind of super phone market, quote unquote. Um, and they're not the first company to make, you know, $550 headphones, but they're the first company to make $550 headphones that everybody seems to know about. Um, and everyone kind of has a little bit of interest in. So yeah, absolutely. They can do that same thing with cars, um, with that know-how. And then also 
they can kind of start a bidding war because like like we mentioned they have a huge brand recognition and especially a company like hyundai who um this with you know their main brand and with genesis have really stepped up when it comes to the cars that they make they make some fantastic vehicles that you know kind of eclipse a lot of the competition when it comes to you know what you get for the for the money that you're paying but one of the big biggest problems with them is their name a lot of people just decide i'm not going to get that car even if it's a great car because it's a hyundai or because it's a genesis or because it's a kia um and getting around that name stigmatization um or you know the the issues people have with that name is a huge opportunity for them to say why don't we just latch on someone who already has that brand recognition um and at the same time it could be a ferrari it could be a, a toyota who's all like yeah well we want that brand recognition too that could be a great kind of perfect storm scenario for apple where they just get all these people wanting to work with them because they know how valuable that apple name can be mm -hmm. i'm just throwing it out there if they do come out with an apple hyundai veloster i am like jumping on the bandwagon a hundred percent i don't know if you like i bought a car i guess two years ago i don't know if you know i was like a huge veloster fan i'm sure i've mentioned that multiple times i was very close to buying a veloster two years ago if they come out with like an apple branded space gray aluminum interior whatever they decide to throw i will jump on that bandwagon 100 percent. yeah and i think a lot of people would um you know want to get their hands on because one there's there's already a precedent in cars for especially very expensive vehicles where there's a partnership between two brands like ferrari and louis vuitton or something like that where you know it's kind of a lifestyle fashion brand will do something in that car to make it kind of bridge the gap between those two luxury markets um mm. we also see this with speakers like every car speakers, yeah. yeah advertises a huge speaker brand of what they're going to use in, in their car whether it's harman kardon or bose or whatever it's like oh we got this premium sound system used um, to be beats used to be beats yeah and it's it's interesting I, apple is already kind of a fashion brand when you think about it they are the only tech brand that is also kind of synonymous with with fashion in a lot of ways with a lot of people um you know your headphones or your phone or and stuff like that people talk about their edc their everyday uh daily carry and stuff like that it's uh it's become a part of oh i got this iphone with my you know designer wallet or i got these apple headphones with my you know designer hat or something like that or scarf like it's it's just a part they're already in that kind of fashion ecosystem and it's not that much of a stretch we've seen it in the past of that fashion ecosystem getting into cars to kind of increase the value proposition of what you're getting in a car and yeah i could see it very similar way where yeah there could be a veloster n-line that is completely apple branded maybe you don't mm -hmm. even see a single hyundai badge on the whole thing um and then there could also be a situation where it's a Ferrari, you know, completely just crazy Ferrari. You know, maybe it's a limited run. There's only they're only going to make two thousand of them for the entire world or something like that. And it's the Apple car. 
and it's it's the electric Ferrari that's going to go head to head with the Tesla Roadster, and yeah. you know for how excited everyone was about the Roadster, if Ferrari comes out with a car that's Apple branded, that can go blow for blow with with Elon, I mean, that's going to be an interesting kind of competition right there. That's going to be hard. I mean, and you mentioned speakers, right? They just came out with the AirPods Max, mm -hmm. right? Those are a huge thing around Christmas time. Do you have the new AirPods car speaker system that's only in this one car? Yeah. Or this one car manufacturer that Apple's decided to pair with, right? And, oh, we've developed a new C1 chip, which has AI algorithms to determine, like, how to map the sound around the sound space of your car like we said it before apple is great at marketing and even though like we see the marketing trap coming we always fall for it yeah when it comes time for a presentation i mean bold prediction in September, at some point in 2021 they show a car concept it may not even be a physical concept on stage although I feel like, you know, to have that wow factor, they would bring a physical concept on stage. It might even just be a video concept because they have great cinematographers at Apple too, Yeah. right? But I say at some point in 2021, their one more thing is you've heard the rumors, we're working on an Apple car, here's a first look at it, here is our partner. Bold prediction. I think that's a... A pretty cool one and i actually do have a question for you uh, about the the apple car because you know there is a lot of rumors swirling around what are the chances you think apple makes a car 100 percent on their own a la tesla where they are their own thing they manufacture it they design it everything in-house with apple i think it's pretty far-fetched but i think that's what people would want more than anything do you think there's any chance that something like that could happen I think there's zero chance that happens mm -hmm. because they don't even manufacture their own phones, right? Like, yes, True. they're designed by Apple's, but it's always, okay, we got the screen from Samsung, we got the camera from Sony, and then there's, who is it, Foxconn is one of their big phone manufacturers? Yeah. Like, I'm sure if they wanted, they could have an Apple facility somewhere, but kind of, I guess, the way they, the, the structure they figured out is it's more profitable to have all of our money going into researching and developing and marketing. And then we'll just, you guys know how to manufacture, we'll let you manufacture it and then we'll just sell it. And I think that kind of goes back to what you said about Tesla, right? Is like one of the big things about Tesla is yes, they're manufacturing their own cars, but they're not good at manufacturing cars, Yeah, <laughs> right? Like their cars have all kinds of panel gaps, all kinds of scratches when it gets delivered to someone, all kinds of, you know, this paint doesn't even, this paint from your front bumper doesn't even match the paint on your back bumper. Like there's all kinds of, I guess, manufacturing things that Tesla gets wrong, but it's just because they have such a huge fan base and such a loyal fan base, they're able to overlook that. Yeah. I think Apple, them partnering with someone who's already established in making cars is great because they don't have to worry about, okay, now we have to build a new, you know, car manufacturing division and do all this research and all this trial and error around developing cars. 
they just have to pass that to someone who already has it figured out because that's their main concern. Mm -hmm. So I don't think they're going to manufacture their own cars because they don't manufacture their own phones. And I think they figured out that why are we going to waste all this money going to figure out how to manufacture a car when we can just pay you to manufacture the car for us? It's, that's a fantastic point. Apple is the designed by Apple and California company, not the made by Apple and California company. <laughs> exactly. So that's a great point. And I, I could imagine a, an Apple car or wherever, whoever they decide to partner with will have that insignia somewhere on it of designed by Apple in California, or maybe someday designed by Apple in Austin. But yeah, <laughs> um, yeah that's, that's a, a really good point. And maybe it might push, you know, if they're, they're really able to knock this out of the park, um, maybe it might push Tesla to say, oh, you know what, maybe we do need to cooperate with an established automaker to kind of bring the, the quality of our products up a bit um, and make it a little bit more, you know, reliable and what a customer is going to receive on day one. I don't think Tesla will do that just because, from my opinion, Elon Musk is too big headed for that. <laughs> if anything, I see him like stealing, I don't know, like some some manager of like you know a ford's factory so i feel like if anything he will steal like senior officials from another car manufacturer and just be like all right you make my car manufacturing better i don't feel like he'll ever go out and say you know what i've done some looking at our cars and i've realized they haven't been the best so i'm going to partner with someone who knows what to do he can't admit that he doesn't know what he's doing yeah so he's always tesla is always going to be making their own cars but i do think that you know apple partnering with someone who actually knows how to make cars and having such good quality well, well assuming obviously it's going to yeah. have good quality is going to help push tesla to have better quality for their cars along with the you know the hummers coming out and the porsche making their cars and all the other kind of stuff you said we were looking forward to before i think all those electric vehicles being i guess guess becoming more mainstream and popular is going to help push tesla to develop in better cars yeah yeah i agree so in one of our last podcasts of the year of 2020 one of our last podcasts of 2020, we talked about the Snapdragon 888, Snapdragon 888, and all the new, you know, the great claims that they had for what it was going to be able to do. The Xiaomi Mi 11 is the first phone to feature the Snapdragon 888. And I guess it released, or the embargo for YouTube videos was released maybe a couple of days ago. So a lot of YouTubers have been putting out videos, unboxing it and reviewing it and giving their impressions of it. Um, it's currently the fastest Android phone on the market because it has the fastest chip. No one else has it right now. Mm. Some of the specs are, you know, 6.81 inch QHD AMOLED display, 120 Hertz display, 1500 nits of brightness, 8 to 12 gigabytes of RAM, 108 megapixel sensor, 4600 milliamp hour battery, 50 watt wireless charging. It's a lot of top notch specs and all for a price of 600 USD, which is pretty, it's a very affordable phone with amazing specs. Now, however, the launch right now is in Asia. This 
600 USD is the Chinese price converted to American dollars. That being said, when Xiaomi releases phones because they're like manufactured in China, it's a cheaper price if you buy in China. Whatever ends up coming to the international market, whether that be like the UK or Canada or America, there's, you know, trade tariffs, there's taxes that get applied. So whenever it does go to the international market, it will most likely be more than 600 USD. But if it were, that's like borderline budget pricing for an amazingly spec phone. And uh, I guess what have you been able to see some of the reviews of the phone, uh, see some of the specs, some of the performance of it, and what do you think about it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I definitely saw quite a few of the reviews um, of the phone. I use a Xiaomi phone right now, um, so I'm very familiar with the software and and the phones, and I, and I like the brand. I, I think for the most part, I think we've talked about a little bit on the podcast before. You know, a lot of uh, reviewers complain about Samsung phones and how a lot of the Samsung apps end up being duplicates to what Android and Google have already put on the phone. Um, but where I kind of argued against that is that a lot of times what Samsung has put on their devices is more thought through and uh, a little bit more usable um, overall. And it creates an ecosystem sort of like what Apple has where you can go from a Samsung product to a Samsung product and the the difference between the two, whether it's a tablet or a phone or a phone to another phone, if you're upgrading, it's a very easy process to switch. Um, whereas something like a regular Android phone might not be the case. And I think Xiaomi is another company that that's really great at doing that. They have a good ecosystem, you know, not as good as Samsung, but but pretty darn close, especially for the amount that you're paying for their phones that has pretty much all the bases covered for what you need. Um, and this phone in particular, the, the Mi 11, I mean, the biggest story was going to be the Snapdragon 888. And I think we spoke about on a previous podcast when we were talking about the rumors about this chip, um, what we were hoping to see and, and what we might have expected um, it to bring to the table, especially after you know, rumors of Samsung potentially using their own chips and going away from, from Qualcomm and even what Apple has been doing with their chips, um, making waves, not just with M1, but also what they've been doing on their mobile phones. And to be honest, the whole package of the phone, I think is, is a little disappointing. And it, it's kind of interesting to say because the price sounds so great. You know, it sounds like it's such a great price point at $600. And for the most part, absolutely is, um, 100%. But the one thing I'm starting to see with the Android ecosystem is, you know, I would say $600 is around mid-range to flagship. And I would say the budget is any phone under $300, $350, $350 or less. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm starting to wonder if those 600 700 800 phones really need to exist um because the budget phones have become so good that i mean there's not a huge difference between a 300 phone and a 600 phone for most people there's obviously going to be a situation where there's a lot of people who you know they game on their phone or they're power users um 
you know, who will need that little bit of extra performance that, you know, that extra $300 will give you. But I think for the vast majority of people, phones like that, and especially even the more expensive phones are becoming unnecessary. Um, and I think where we were talking about in a previous podcast, where the Snapdragon 888 and this phone really needed to kind of set a new bar was in pictures. You know, one of the huge selling points for this chip was that it was going to have more uh, processing cores for imaging and mm -hmm. video and stuff like that. And I think we mentioned that there's been a huge gap between what Pixel does with pictures and iPhone does with pictures and Samsung and then pretty much everyone else. And I think we talked a lot about OnePlus and that as well, about how they were kind of struggling with making really good cameras on their phones. And we thought that maybe these chips could kind of bridge the gap. But the one thing that I've kind of noticed with a lot of the reviews is one, it's using the same camera as last year's phone. And two, the pictures don't really look that great to me. Um, you know, they're, they're, it's interesting. Like I have in my phone, I have the Xiaomi Mi 9T doesn't have a good camera system at all and it wasn't meant to be it's it's very much a budget phone but even for a budget phone the camera system isn't very good um and i think with this new phone the camera system is good and at at the end of the day it's just good i think mm -hmm. for a lot of people if you were to compare photos side by side with maybe a pixel 3a uh, sorry a pixel 4a or even a pixel 5 i think a lot of people would choose the pictures of the pixel over it but it's still early um you know it's just coming out in asia now software is probably going to roll out hopefully things get better but as of right now the phone doesn't really stand out to me as like oh this is the the greatest thing ever and everyone should run out and buy it um because i think it's just there's just more balance in the android market now especially with all the competition uh but how about you how do you feel have you seen much about the phone and, and what do you think about it um i would guess my main my main critique of the phone would kind of come down to the same thing, mm -hmm. right? It's definitely better than the Mi 10 series, but I mean, the build quality isn't that much different, right? 6.8 inch screen, it's a big phone, but they've made other 6.8 inch phones, you know, quad HD, that's kind of what's expected. Quad HD, 120 Hertz, you know, around 1500 nits, that's kind of standard for flagships. If they didn't have this on their new phone, then it would kind of be like, oh, like, why are you skimping out on your users like that? Yeah. Um, I guess the battery, pretty decent sized battery, right? Right. Um, 50 watt wireless charging is pretty impressive. It's good. It's not the best that we've seen, but it's, it's pretty good. And like you said one thing i found with people reviewing the pictures is it's not that distinguishable from last year's model um kind of the big thing was the three image uh, image sensor processors is that what it is the three yeah. isps yeah that was supposed to be this new snapdragon snapdragon chip which is supposed to okay it's going to take three separate photos at the same time and then be able to stitch them together to create the best photo well at least right now, there isn't that big of a difference in quality from last year's Mi 10 to this year's Mi 11. So if kind of the biggest thing you were harping on is the photos and there's not that much of a difference, then it's kind of one of the big selling points for people when they buy phones. Now, one thing that I did see was the gaming experience on this was a lot better 
compared to last year's chip. But the one reviewer that I saw who actually tested it, it was kind of, they had to find the absolute limit for what the Snapdragon 875 could do and the Snapdragon 888 could do it. They ended up, they were emulating a Wii player in Modern Warfare 3. And last year's chip couldn't do that smoothly. It was running at like 15 frames per second. This year's chip, they were able to do it at 30 frames per second smoothly, but it's kind of like, if you're searching to find something that the phone can't do, and it's like this one specific case scenario that, okay, the 888 is better than the 875 in, then kind of like, is it that much of, a prove, of an improvement? And is it really a needed improvement, right? But I guess Snapdragon being a chip manufacturer, it's kind of like they have to have something, a new product every year. They have to have something to come out with. So the Mi 11, like you said, it's, you know, it's a mid-range phone, I guess. We'll see if it ends up coming to international markets for 600 USD. If it does, then, hey, it, it would be, I guess, a good phone to recommend. If you're looking to get a brand new phone, you might as well get one with the newest processor that they have to offer. But it's kind of... We were, I guess I, yeah, I guess we were both expecting more from the first chip, chip to, to showcase the Snapdragon 888. And it kind of, we'll talk about this a bit later on in the episode, but it kind of, it almost validates a little bit more Samsung possibly going to their own chipset. Yeah, um, I, I, 100%. And it's interesting because I feel like this is kind of echoing the Apple moving away from Intel into their own chips because Apple, I mean, Intel just couldn't keep up um, with what Apple needed those chips to do. And we've talked about this so many times of how we're always talking about competition on this podcast. And the reason why that happened was Intel didn't have any competition. They were the only game in town. AMD really couldn't compete with them. So they kind of just let their foot off the gas a bit. Um, and kind of just rested on their laurels. And I think this is a situation that could be happening with uh, Qualcomm. Because we've known for years now that Apple has bested them in CPU performance and GPU performance year over year for a while now. But at the end of the day, there's not a lot of people cross-shopping cross Android and Apple phones. Um, but they haven't had a lot of, of competition in the processor market in Android phones. So they really didn't need to have, you know, year over year, huge gains for their processors. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I think where I'm a little bit more disappointed in the Xiaomi Mi 11 is not just in the performance of the Snapdragon 888, which is one thing, but I think it's in the direction of Android phones in general. Uh, I think what Apple has clearly done so well is, you know, people have always talked about the word, the ecosystem, but beyond that, just making a product that works and works efficiently. And I think even right before this podcast started, I mentioned to you, I feel like every time I use a Google product, they change the way something is done for yeah. no reason at all. Like they just want to change it. 
Um, and I feel like that disjointed kind of mindset has got its way into Android and even fairly recently. Um, you know, uh, someone in my family was upgrading their phone. They used more of a lower end phone, the, the Moto G. Um, and they were switching from an older Moto G to a new, newer Moto G. Really cool phone. I, 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 you know, I was fooling around with it for a bit as I was setting it up. Um, I could have easily, you know, that, that phone is like $200 to 150 US dollars, um, as little as 150 US dollars from time to time. And I could have easily used that phone as a daily driver. Like there's really no issue for me um, to use a phone like that. And it just begs the question, well, then if I could use a phone like that, which is a few caveats or maybe just finding a few workarounds here or there, why do I need to spend three or four times as much for a phone just because it has a Snapdragon 888? But then also on top of that, one thing that I really noticed that was kind of frustrating was migrating from one phone to the other just didn't work. You know, they have, uh, Google has this huge process for, okay, you know, you log into your account here and you log into your account there and everything will back up and then transfer over. And it just didn't work. It, it didn't work the way that it was supposed to. It didn't work at all. And then you compare that to something like an Apple phone. Switching from an Apple phone is very simple um, mm -hmm. to a new one. And, and you know, that's something like I mentioned with, with uh, Samsung and their ecosystem or even Xiaomi. You know, there's a one button to press to back up you know your entire phone and then just restore it on the new phone and it will bring everything back to where you left off and i feel like android phones in general are dropping the ball on that kind of usability standpoint of making the process and like the experience just as simple and as convenient as possible for the user and not focusing on specs and i think that's where i'm a little bit more disappointed is that specs don't matter anymore because quite frankly $150 phone is usable. Now, I think the next kind of leap that Android needs to make, both from Google and from its its manufacturers, its third-party manufacturers, is just make the process more streamlined, make it easier, make it more consistent, um, so that when you're switching from phone to phone, you're not in a wildly different world where sometimes something will work and sometimes it will just be broken. That's a good point to make. And it's, uh, I mean, comparing to the Apple ecosystem, right? Whether you have an iPhone or an iPad, let's say you compare those two, they're pretty much the same thing, mm -hmm. right? If you talk about, okay, how you navigate through the systems and what your apps look like and you know where the button to minimize something or where your options are gonna be, from an iPad to an iPhone, it's gonna be pretty similar. And I guess now with the big Sur update, Mac products like uh, like MacBooks and the Mac Pros are kind of they're getting closer and closer to what the iPhone and iPad operating system are like. So it's kind of like you said, not only is it easy to transfer data data from one iPhone to the next, but now it's also just moving between Apple devices. It's that much easier. It's that much smoother. So it's not okay if I got the the iPhone 8 and now I'm up upgrading to an iPhone 12. It's not, oh, I have to learn a completely new operating system all over again, or like everything is completely in a separate place from where I expect it to be. One good thing is that iPhone that you're transferring from was probably up to date, probably had the same software as the one that you're upgrading to now. Yeah. Because they, they 
you know, they uh, release updates for their older devices for so long. It's probably running the exact same operating system, except for maybe a few slight tweaks. So it's not going to be as jarring to switch from one phone to the next phone or from one device to the next device. And so we started talking about, you know, the competition between Snapdragon and Samsung. CES 2021 is this upcoming week from January 11th to the 14th. It's all digital for the first time ever. And on the 14th, even though it's not part of the CES event, Samsung is having their unpacked event. Samsung is expected to announce the S21, S21 Plus, and S21 Ultra. Also, what they're expected to do is announce that they're switching from Snapdragon chips to their own Exynos chips. Now, I know in the international market, they were shipping chips with Exynos. And it seems like now they're able to finally put them in North American phones. And this is kind of, like you said, similar to what Apple did with Intel in their Mac products, in their computing products. Snapdragon kind of, from year to year, has kind of, they've been small incremental changes in terms of performance, right? Like if you look at, let's say, Geekbench scores, each year is probably like a 200 point increase maybe 150 point increase so yes it is faster than last year's model but not that much faster and one thing that kind of apple one problem apple ran into or they said they ran into is listen we have stuff that we want to upgrade faster but intel is holding us back there's so much more that we can do and we want to do but us relying on intel is holding us back and making a worse experience for our customers and now it seems like Samsung could be saying the same thing, like, hey, you know, we want to give you better phones. We want to create better products, but these Snapdragon chips are holding us back. They're making these small increases year by year, which is limiting, let's say, the quality of the photos we produce or, you know, how fast our phones work, how well they play games, how quickly they can, you know, edit videos and pictures. Once we have our own Exynos chips, pretty much the sky's the limit i'm assuming they'll be saying so not it's i think the bigger thing isn't going to be okay you know the build quality of the phones how big their battery is you know how long it can last like you said specs aren't as important anymore and now it's more usability so i think i hope that on the 14th when they show off their new phones and they talk about these new chips, it's going to be you. I'm hoping it's going to be an upgrade to image quality, mm -hmm. right? It's going to be upgrade to the games that we can play, especially because cloud gaming is becoming such a big thing. Now, if people are going to be gaming from their phones and we're saying, Hey, Snapdragon is holding us back in terms of how well you can stream a game from your Xbox. Now our new Exynos chip can do it three times better than the last one. So I think I'm more looking forward to what they have on the chipset side more than what they have with the actual phones themselves. Yeah, yeah, that's that's 100%. And, um, you know, Samsung, I, personally, I've never, I haven't used a Samsung phone in years since the Galaxy Nexus, which is very very old yeah. but 
you know, I have, I do use a Samsung tablet, um, and I have, you know, known people who've used Samsung phones, Galaxy S4, Galaxy S5, S6, and stuff like that. And I have to give them a lot of credit because, you know, beyond of just what has happened with Qualcomm and Snapdragon processors is that Samsung never stopped doing new things. They were the ones that brought in the curved screens that draped over the sides. They were the ones that brought in, you know, gigantic screen phones and pens and stuff like that and all these different methods of inputs. And they were also the company that made them and Motorola made getting budget phones very easy um, by bringing in, you know, so many different types of phones for every single type of person, um, depending on what their needs are. And I've always given them a lot of credit for not just resting on their laurels like we've mentioned like a lot of you know companies have been doing in the past and always trying to do something new and i think this is just another step for them of saying well if we can control our own processors and our hardware um, from top to bottom we can introduce newer things to newer products at a faster rate um, not constantly waiting on on um you know our partners uh, so to speak and I think they did a good job of, of, of that even when they were working with, with Qualcomm. I can only imagine things could get better in the future. And there's a lot of, of rumors with the, the S21 that have been coming out of potential specs and what kind of features even the main the mainline phones from Samsung can have. It kind of just, when comparing it to something like the Xiaomi Mi 11, um, it kind of just brings a little bit more excitement to to say, okay, it's not just about specs. There's actually new features and and usability aspects to the phones that can actually just come to people as opposed to just looking at numbers, so to speak. And one thing that I think we're both kind of interested to see, there are rumors that Samsung will, will be bringing S Pen support to their non-Note phones because... Before it was just if you want to use an S Pen, S. <laughs> if you want to use an S Pen, you have to get a Note. It seems, or there's rumors saying that they will give you the option to buy an S Pen separate, and there'll be some sort of case attachment that you use with your S21 phone to use S Pen, which I think is a huge benefit. Which I would like to see from more people, like you know Apple, let's say. Um, just imagine if you could use the Apple Pencil with your iPhone. I yeah. Mean, why not? Right? And then let alone MacBooks. But Samsung hasn't done it yet. That is a hardware feature that I think would be very welcome, welcomed by a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I guess anything else around Samsung? Yeah, so I think the S Pen is, is a huge point. Um, and I personally love uh, the S Pen with Samsung for... A couple of main reasons one is in the tablet side it's it's been available on products that aren't super expensive like in just a few months ago the galaxy tab i believe it was the s6 Lite, was on sale for less than 300 dollars, and it comes with the pen in the box the s pen in the box um and that's such a great value for what it was it's not the most powerful tablet it can't do everything in the world but it's a great tablet if you want to take notes or you want to do some doodling and stuff like that and the best part about the s pen on not just the galaxy note series and hopefully on the s21 and on the tablets is that it doesn't need to charge 
it's something that doesn't need a battery you can just pull it out and start drawing and start writing you never have to worry about it being dead um and you know have to, having to put it in a charger for a few minutes before you can use it it's just always available and ready to use um which is very different from from apple's uh kind of methodology where you have the apple pencil it attach, attaches mat magnetically to the tablet um and and charges in that way and i think that's one of the things kind of holding it back from being available on phones because then you have to rethink well how are you going to charge this if you use it on a phone um yeah. if you know you don't have a, a side on it where you can just clip it on and, and charge it and then even if you could is it really ergonomic to do that um and yeah i think this is a great kind of opportunity to bring new like the note series has always been the s pen series um and the note series has become a little bit stagnant over the past few years where there wasn't really much more innovation they could do they've already done everything they could with it so why not bring those features as an optional add-on to the regular galaxy s series the s21s um and i think another cool thing of a question i would ask you is what does this now mean for note if you can use an s pen on an s21 the note 21 do they do something new with that do the notes now become foldable phones um do they you know samsung has never been shy about bringing new products into the fold or even changing up products what would you like to see from the future of a note phone if s21 series will already support the pen to be honest i think they are going to end the note lineup mm. i think that's kind of the route they were going um with the last note series they had the regular note and then the note ultra and the regular note was priced i think at like a thousand usd yeah but it was like a plastic back a lesser camera lesser battery size not the best screen and so it's kind of like if you're gonna spend a thousand dollars on a phone it doesn't make sense to get the note you're either gonna get like the s21 ultra or you're just gonna spend more money and get the note ultra yeah. so it seems like from last year they kind of they're moving away from just the note line onto the note ultra and i guess this kind of because before note used to be premium right it was you had your s20 products but then if you want the best samsung has to offer it's the note the most expensive biggest screen biggest battery all this functionality to it if now they're bringing the the s pen to the regular s lineup right i think we may have seen or if not last year i think the next couple years we're going to see the last note and then it's just going to be the s lineup and then the foldable lineup because one big thing that people like about the what is it the z fold 2 yeah right is how much more room you have to work with if you're a power user with your phone the z fold is the z fold 2 is a great phone to use it's a great phone to have if they're bringing s pen functions to the regular like s21 the z fold 3 is definitely going to have s pen functions and if you're talking about okay well the note is good because you have a bigger screen well a z fold 2 or z fold 3 is going to have a much bigger screen if it's well you know the note is good because it has a bigger battery 
the Fold 3 is going to have a much bigger battery. So it's kind of, I think, if they do bring S Pen functions to the regular regular S lineup and to the Z Fold lineup, you're leaving the Note in kind of like this awkward middle position that is kind of like, it's not going to be as portable or I guess as compact as the S21 and then the screen isn't going to be as big as a Z Fold 3 so it's kind of like you're in this middle position of if why would you want to buy it right if you want a bigger screen to do more with get a Z Fold if you want you know something I guess more compact that you can still use an S Pen with but it's still portable then get an S21 Plus or Ultra so I think they're kind of phasing out of the Note series. I can't really think of anything that I would like to see from them because it's it's going to be done by the Z Fold 3 and the S21 Ultra on either side of it. That's actually a, a really interesting point that I didn't think of because, so I've mentioned in the past, you know, I've worked in cell, smartphone sales and stuff like that and I've always seen the Note brand as a very strong brand for consumers. Generally, people who buy into the Note brand will wait for the next Note. Like that's the most excited uh, device that they that they want. You know, generally, if if you're in the regular, you know, Galaxy S brand, people will move around a little bit. But for Note fans, all they want is a Note. That's all they care about. Even if they don't use the the pen. The note is the one that they want. So I always thought that that brand recognition, they had to do something with that because they were so successful with that brand. But you brought up a good point, and that is we're starting to see just recently, um, in the last couple of days or so, um, Samsung showed off their Galaxy Chromebook 2. Mm -hmm. And their the Galaxy Chromebook 1 was a device I wanted so bad. Unfortunately, they didn't sell it where I lived. But I was so set. I was about to buy it 100%. Really? And yeah, and it had issues. Um, it had terrible battery life. Um, it was Pretty running expensive. Chrome OS. It was very expensive. Um, overpriced, honestly. Um, yeah. And it was running Chrome OS. And it, it had a great screen, but the screen was unnecessary. Like, it was just not necessary for the, the size of the device that it was. But one thing that they did so well is that there was S Pen integration. S Pen was right there in the machine. Um, you know, it was just a nice package um, from Samsung. Really thin, really cool device. And but it was a failure. It, the the fact is that product was a failure. It did not work um, for what people wanted. You, Chromebook is supposed to be something you're supposed to carry around everywhere you go. It's supposed to be able to last the whole day. And that thing had like a three hour battery life at best. So it was definitely a failure, but they did show off a refreshed version that was that is now not only cheaper, um, but still carries a lot of the great features as the last one did, which is the cool design. Um, it has better battery life, it's thicker now, um, and it still supports the S Pen with that great screen, but the S Pen is not included with it, essentially. It's not you know plugged into uh, the side of the device like the old one was. And this is this seems like a play for Samsung to just make their devices synonymous with the S Pen. Like if you buy a Samsung device, it supports the S Pen. And 
it kind of makes the idea of a note device not necessary. Because if I can get a Chromebook that's made by Samsung and it supports an S Pen, and I can get an mm -hmm. Android tablet that's made by Samsung and it supports an S Pen, and I can get a cell phone that's uh, sold by Samsung and it supports the S Pen, that's all that really matters. Everything now supports this this point of input that people have pretty much across the board said is great, um, including myself. I think it's great as well. And it, it kind of just makes the note no, no, no longer necessary. But also... For Samsung, that's a great thing because now you just have another reason to sell an accessory. Because, yeah, yeah okay, the S21 supports the S Pen. It doesn't come in the box. But, hey, any time down the road, you can go and say, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll spend a little bit extra and, and get that S Pen. It's, it's kind of like the whole Apple thing of, you know, you can buy a phone and then you can also get the AirPods. And it's kind of that enticing thing of like, okay, it's so well integrated, like we were talking before, that ecosystem that a lot of these Android companies need to kind of have. And I think Samsung does the best job at it. This only makes it even better is I don't have to think twice. I bought a Samsung device. I can also get a, a S pen that will work with it. Um, yeah. yeah. One thing. Uh, so uh, you, you mentioned Apple and I was going to make a joke about, you know, you can buy a, you know, buy a, S Pen also, and I'm like, yeah, you can also buy a charger too because Apple doesn't include it in the box. Yeah. And also Samsung won't be including the charger in the box for this year, even though they made fun of Apple for it last year. One thing I forgot to mention with the Xiaomi Mi 11, it does not come with a charger in the box. It supports up to a 55 watt charger, but it doesn't come in the box. One thing that Xiaomi is doing though, which I think everyone should do is if you decide that you would like their new charger, they will ship it to you for free. So they're saying, hey, you probably have chargers at home, just like everyone else. We're saying we're going to cut back on the size of our box so we can ship more. We're cut, cutting back on e-waste. We're not going to unnecessarily ship you a charger that you probably already have. But if you decide you want a charger, we're going to send it to you at no extra cost, which is the the way it should work it shouldn't be here's a new phone doesn't come with a charger because we're trying to save the planet but if you do need a charger pay us more for it this is just in asia right now which is with its initial release will this be the case once it's an international release i don't know stay tuned for a later episode and we'll let you know but one thing i forgot to mention that i thought i should mention and another point on that as well, and I think this coincides with what we're talking about with Samsung and, and, you know, and Apple and getting money off of accessories, is that the Xiaomi Mi 11 also, I've watched the unboxings, it seems like it also does not come with a cord, a USB cable. Nope. So, yeah, so there's, you know, at least with the Apple phones, you get the cable, don't you? I'm pretty sure you do. You do, yeah. You get the now. cable, but not the charger. With the Mi 11, you don't even get the cable. Um, and... I would imagine that even if they do bring the Mi 11 with that kind of idea to more markets, Europe and, and US, um, where you can request a charger for no additional cost if you don't have one, especially because Xiaomi, Xiaomi is a pretty young brand outside of China, um, that many people probably don't have a Xiaomi charger. Um, mm. I think that's, that's more of a stopgap kind of situation. And what a lot of these companies want to do is have you buy the phone and then also upsell you on a bunch of accessories. You know, you're going to want the fastest charger. You're going to want the 
you know, thickest, best cable or whatever, or braided cable. You're going to want the S Pen. You're going to want the headphones. You're going to want the Galaxy Buds. You're going to want the AirPods Max. Like, just so that when you walk into that store, you don't just walk out with that one box of the iPhone and feel happy. You walk out with mm. 10 boxes <laughs> and you feel super happy. Um, but also they get a little bit more of your money. And I think that's the direction that a lot of these companies are going. I personally don't like it, but it just seems to be the reality of accessories are a huge part of what made Apple so profitable in not just iPhones, but iPads and, you know, um, iPods. If you remember back in the day, you know, they used to have that, that, uh, 30 pin connector and mm -hmm. you would walk into an Apple store and there would be so many products that you could dock that 30 pin connector on that would give you an extra functionality. Like, Oh, turn your iPod into a stereo or, Oh, plug it into your car. Like none of these came included. It was just all nope. these extra accessories that they would upsell you on and it worked. And it, 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 it seems like it took a few decades for a lot of these other companies to catch on, but it seems like they're finally starting to do that. And in some cases it can be a little bit annoying to consumers, but in the case of the S pen, um, if you know, these rumors turn out to be true and the S pen is now supported on based S galaxy S devices and just more devices from Samsung in general, I think that kind of thing kind of, uh, helps consumers, you know, make, make the choice that they want. If they don't want the biggest, you know, note phone, and instead they want, you know, a little bit smaller Galaxy S phone, but can still use an S Pen. That just gives consumers more choice. So I guess it's a yin-yang to the whole situation, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I guess our last semi-topic for the day is CES 2021, mm -hmm. like I mentioned. It's happening January 11th to the 14th. Um, it's the first time it's going to be all digital. Usually it's set somewhere usually it's at one location and it's a convention center somewhere yes. and all kinds of you know you have all kinds of manufacturers in the tech sector in the home appliance sector thousands of uh vendors that kind of set up their booth and media and people just kind of roam around throughout the booth kind of seeing oh no here's a new 8k tv from lg here's a new washing machine from samsung and it's kind of just a horde of people in a enclosed environment touching everything shaking everyone's <laughs> hand not the cleanest place to be naturally so kind of makes sense that they wouldn't have it this year and they're making it all digital which is also cool because it gives people a chance it gives a lot more people like chance i guess to turn to see it, to tune in, to be a part of it. Because mm -hmm. unless you were, you know, willing to fly to the U.S. and, you know, book off a week of work and stay in a hotel, you weren't going to CES. But now everyone can kind of tune in from home, which opens it up quite a bit. Um, I don't see them doing it outside of maybe this year or the next year. But, I mean, being able to tune in from home, I think, is definitely going to be a big part of it in the future. There's quite a few keynotes that are, you know, being listed right now. You have Verizon, General Motors, the Best Buy, Microsoft, and a lot of what they're going to be displaying, I guess, or a lot of what the vendors are going to be displaying is kind of tech focused around the past year, which mm -hmm. makes sense. There's going to be a lot of stuff about, you know, the digital transformation of work, more technology to make it easier to work from home. 
like you mentioned, the Samsung Chrome or Galaxy Chromebook 2, a lot of students are learning from home. Yeah. They're learning from home, and a lot of them are using Chromebooks, whether they're supplied by their schools or whether they're buying them themselves. So a lot of technology about making working from home easier for students, for adults, a lot of stuff to make you know your home smarter, make things more connected. There is going to be a lot of new innovations i feel coming out from ces 2021 and like i said general motors has a keynote a lot of what they're talking about what they're supposed to be talking about is kind of laying the foundation for an all-electric future we mentioned in our one of our last couple of podcasts you know gm has this huge promise with the hummer coming out that you can charge i think it was what up to 50 percent in 15 no, it was 100 miles in 15 minutes. We kind of speculate that, hey, imagine if they bring this to all of their electrical vehicles, right? Yeah. We could be seeing something like that, I guess, as part of their keynote for General Motors. Um, so my question to you is, is there anything, any kind of rumors that you've heard about for CES, or is there anything that you're looking forward to hearing about or learning more about from the upcoming conference um so yeah kind of you know ces in the past has always been my christmas like christmas is great but once january <laughs> hits and ces starts i am just like in heaven like all the newest tech products um you know that's where they always used to be announced all the biggest companies used to attend and in the past you know maybe five six years or so that's kind of wind down a bit you know it's not as big a convention as it used to be nowadays it's become more about some random new tv technology that lg or samsung is trying to convince you to spend ten thousand dollars on um which you know has isn't been too exciting but the, there are a couple of products that i am really hoping to see from microsoft um one of them is completely out of the blue i haven't heard anything about this it's just something that i really hope happens and it would be the xbox branded personal computer essentially <laughs> um you know atari has just recently released the atari vcs and it's got a lot of flack a lot of people are like oh it's not cool it's stupid blah 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 i think it's a really cool device that is no one should buy because it's ridiculously overpriced but it is something that is really cool it's a computer essentially is also a retro console running old Atari games. And I think Microsoft is in a perfect place right now with things like Game Pass and xCloud where they can bring the Xbox brand to a, a personal computer, something I've always thought that they should do, something that's a little bit smaller, kind of what Steam tried to do back in the day with the Steam boxes and the Steam PCs, but never took mm -hmm. off. But as for actual products that, that you know, are announced and are things that I'm kind of hoping to see updates on. One of them is a Surface Duo 2. Um, I would love to see a new version of that. Um, you know, it didn't really, it wasn't really successful last year when it came out. A lot of people had bugs and, and problems with the device, but I think it was a really cool form factor. I think we spoke about it a little bit when we were talking about foldables and we were both kind of really intrigued by Microsoft's take on a foldable device. Um, and also the bigger brother to that product, which was the Surface Neo, um, which was going to be a Windows-powered tablet kind of thing that 
had the same kind of hinge and the same kind of folding mechanism, but just in a mar larger device running Windows. And that was supposed to come out last year. It was delayed. Um, I'm hoping it's not canceled altogether. So I'm hoping we see something like that from Microsoft. Um, and then beyond that, you know, LG is definitely going to show off their transparent TVs. I'm kind of interested to see if that actually becomes a consumer-based product. Um, I can't think of any use case as to why I would want or need a transparent TV, but it is cool. So, you know, I'd kind of like to see that again. Maybe they have some new applications for what that can be used for. And then finally, um, LG has also has their rollable TVs, um, which essentially is just a TV in a little box and you press a button and it unfolds almost like blinds, like a piece of paper or something like that coming out mm -hmm. of a printer. Um, and uh, that's something, once again, has no practical use whatsoever. But <laughs> that's the cool part about CES is that there's all these products that don't necessarily need to be practical. They can be kind of a blue ocean kind of strategy. Um, you know, it doesn't need to be practical right from the get-go, but it's something new to show what the future could be. And that's kind of what I'm really looking forward to CES. And hopefully, hopefully we get to see some stuff like that. How about you? Is there anything in particular that you might be interested in seeing? Um, nothing in particular, right? I'm, I'm interested to see what Samsung, I guess, shows from their, their keynote, even though it's not part of CES, it's just, I guess they're riding kind of the wave of the event. Um, I'm interested to see what General Motors has to say about their new electrical vehicles and what they have planned for the year. Um, other than that, I can't really think of anything specific that I'm looking forward to. That being said, I'm sure when we record our next podcast, there's going to be a lot of tech that we're going to be, I guess, blown away by or excited to see. And I'm expecting to have, <laughs> have a lot of interesting things come out of this, um, you know, things to look forward to for the year and I guess even for the next couple of years. But no, yeah, nothing specific, just excited to see what comes from this event yeah same yeah i guess anything else uh no not really um just you know hopefully everyone had good holidays and enjoyed the uh the uh, last podcast and we talked about the best stuff of last year and stuff that we're kind of hoping uh comes out this year and uh you know hopefully cyberpunk 2077 gets better <laughs> yeah <laughs> can't get any worse yeah <laughs> All right, I guess take it easy, everyone, in podcast land. Catch you in the next episode.